Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, ahoy, Pete. That's not my team. It's our team. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, featuring Lower Decks for episode 103, Temporal Edict, comes to you now via Creative Estimating. Pete, though we are speaking, of course, from the Galactic Federation right now, just have to point out some other ships up there in the sky. Have to note that our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7 wrap is up on FantasticGeek.com, uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, etc. Uh, and of course, in the in the third of the space-traveling trifecta uh, TV shows that we cover, news on The Mandalorian expected any day now. Yes, we're holding off until the promotional machine for season two begins in earnest. We've got some some stuff we've been sitting on as well, so we'll be bringing you that as soon as it's available. But right now, Matt, it's time to talk about Star Trek. Indeed, let's dive into the ready rundown. Program complete. Enter when ready. In the ship's bar, Boimler fiddles while Mariner rocks. Her hard rock tunes shake the ship and, impossibly, the Klingon warbird off the bow. Boimler returns to fiddling while Shax smashes the fiddle. Comedy! First Officer Ransom notes that the ship is on the way to a high-priority peace negotiation on Cardassia Prime, but sorry it's being moved to Vulcan. The Cardassians are creeps, and the Cerritos is headed to a less prominent mission. Captain Freeman wants to prove that the ship isn't filled with slackers. In the brig, our lower deck slackers are checking brig particulars and take a margarita break. It's a lower decks tradition. However, Freeman's on the prowl overhearing someone talk about buffer time, the system of padding out work estimates to increase chill time. The ship is put in a top-down timing schedule. Get to work! How bad could it be? One week later, the ship is a chaotic stress machine with tired workers clearly working too fast and too sloppily, except Boimler, who loves his schedules. In the shuttle bay, Ransom has a foot up, Riker style, while he watches underlings, including Mariner, loading a Goodwill shuttle. They're headed to meet the Galrakians to show off the Goodwill crystal. However, in meeting the Galrakians, Ransom's got wood. A wooden token, not the intended crystal token. Ensign Verndome loaded the wrong container. He was working too fast. The slight leads the Galrakian people to attack with their future crystal spears. Ransom, Mariner, and others are captured. The two verbally spar. All that's needed is a sweet Starfleet speech, but that doesn't work. Trial by combat with Vindor, the hulking hulk. Who will fight Vindor? Ransom stabs Mariner in the foot, then rips off his shirt. He shall sweatily fight Vindor with double fist punches. Vintor is ultimately defeated. On the ship, crew chaos continues all the way up to the bridge crew, though they do see Galrakian crystal ships inbound to board the Cerritos. The order is given for the crew to continue their assigned tasks while repelling boarders. Boimler lightly phasers Galrakian graffiti and phasers some Galrakians too. He points out that the invaders are only winning because the crew is multitasking. New order! Defend the ship! The crew does with vigor and ease. Away team home, cleanup of the Cerritos proceeds nicely. Freeman summons Boimler, who notes the Boimler effect 
the flexibility for shortcuts and independent problem solving in service of the overall orders. P.S. In the far future, the Boimler effect is taught as an honor to a lazy officer shown here in statue form with a great bird of the galaxy. But let's talk about the most important officer of all time, Chief Miles Edward O'Brien, to end the episode. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. Who's top of the list? Buffer time, Matt. I love that this episode, under the guise of being a time travel story, is a time travel story, except uh, where we choose to build in more time to the tasks that Federation officers, particularly on the lower decks, are assigned. Yeah, I think it is something that makes the episode so relatable. Um, because, of course, on the one hand, we want to be super efficient. On the other hand, you know, after you're done fine-tuning the brig, who doesn't want a round of margaritas? The fertility totem of Mavic Prime and not the honor crystal that the Galrakians are looking for is maybe the most believable screw-up that leads to the tension here. And I really, really appreciated, all right, wow, that could happen in a live action Star Trek episode, particularly when people have gotten their nose out of joint that, you know, this show deals in things that never happen on the real shows. Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly is believable when we think of, you know, the unseen one week of increasing chaos. Uh, it's another great example where there's a connection between the A plot and the B plot and, and a heavy one at that. And part of me is kind of like, well, wait, if the Gelrakians are advanced enough to be in the Federation while also, you know, getting upset over this, you know, but eh, I think it's believable enough. And probably if we looked in the real world, we would see, you know, sufficiently advanced countries where if you do the wrong social faux pas thing or, or, or something where there's a difference of social appreciation where it is taken very seriously. So for me, it worked. One week later versus Boimler, I think is a really fun way to look at what happened. I mean, you get the over dramatic clock and the passage of time and everybody's got this countdown going on. And meanwhile, the dude is checking off things left and right. He's ahead of schedule, and he's loving life. Yeah, and I think that what has become clear after these three episodes of Lower Decks is something that probably shouldn't be all that surprising, that the show's storytelling leans into animation in a way that, for example, maybe uh, Star Trek The Animated Series did not. I mean, yes, the animated series had you know, aliens that you could hitherto not have imagined to see on screen, and, you know, the, the life... Uh, belt thing that let people go outside with a with a glowy glow around them and things like that but it kind of wasn't leaning into some of the goofiness of animation and here you have that you know the fact that boimler is the only guy who can handle this kind of schedule where everybody else is in terror it's played up a little bit but i think that it's kind of it's it's adjacent to 100 real world star trek they haven't slept uh, you know, Rutherford's got 10 minutes to do a 30 minute task. And this is a guy who seems as efficient through the first couple episodes 
as uh, Boimler. So I, I really appreciated that idea and that it extends to to the bridge crew. And while we don't see Shax in particular suffering from it, that Captain Freeman is, you know, jumping in and she's under the same gun that everybody else is. Why? Because we want to try to be like the Enterprise because we got a diplomatic uh, mission taken away from us, which in actuality was, well, they just moved the planet that it's at. Well, and and took away what could have been a shiny star next to uh, next to Freeman's name. Uh, but it and- wasn't intentional. It, it wasn't the result of what she perceives a slight against the ship. It was just as Ransom said, they they put it elsewhere and we're not near that. Right. Like, and to use a real world example for that, anytime, perhaps less so in the, you know, in the last couple of years, but generally speaking, anytime when North Korea is making claims or they're going to, you know, anytime North Korea is being naughty, what does the United States do? Launch an air force uh, carrier group or whatever it might be, send a whole bunch of ships into the northern pacific and what do those ships invariably do they go they hang out in the north pacific they circle for a couple days a couple weeks then they turn around and go to a base in japan or hawaii or back to san diego point being the mission of this could be the big one and you're in charge of it becomes great now turn back come home so these things happen it's not necessarily a slight against as you're saying pete the ship or the captain the Galrakians are generic enough to fit in for any species that a ship would come across, but we have the complication of the misunderstanding, the, the crystal versus the, the wood artifact, and then that everything is centered around crystals for them to the point where they crush uh, you know, ne'er-do-wells with an adjudication crystal, and they have combat by death and coming soon uh death race certainly more on that when we talk theories in a bit though uh pete however we have to talk specifically about vindor the the hulking hulk as i said in the recap who also is a thinking man he's professor vindor loves to read man and he just wants people to to think he's one way when he's really another way uh, again, kind of a classic Star Trek idea, though I might have uh, black on my left side and white on my right. Someone else might have it the other way, yet underneath we're all the same. With that, let's turn our long range sensors down to some theories. So, okay, Pete, follow me along here. Uh, This is an episode where the bad bosses require a strict uh, schedule. The cool Lower Decks crew, uh, however, is tasked with saving the lowercase e Enterprise. Is this a metaphor for Star Trek? Is the bad boss Alex Kurtzman? Is the cool Lower Decks crew, wait for it, the cool Lower Decks crew? Just the nonsense that continues to make the rounds on social media that that Kurtzman showed up virtually in a writer's room and chewed people up over ratings. Ratings don't matter on streamers. Okay. It's, it's not an issue. Uh, 
there are plenty of people watching Lower Decks and Picard and Discovery that will watch Section 31 and Strange New Worlds. Star Trek is not going anywhere. Well, then how about this, Pete? The Galrakians overly procedural uh <laughs> creatures caught in the past wanting to do the old ways like have green creatures fight starfleet people in an arena uh has mike mcmahon and his entire crew decided to skewer star trek fandom with the galrakians if they want to perceive that bat maybe that's the case otherwise the galrakians fit in with just about every species that a starfleet crew has ever encountered to be a bit more serious the the easily accessible message here i think is one of uh empowering people at a local level you know the lower decks crew who are tasked with fixing the brig go do that the best you can and and choose a path that's best for you I felt like the message here, though not an upper echelon kind of Star Trek message with a capital M, you know, uh, let that be your last battlefield and what it says on racism and, and things of that sort. Some of the episodes on fascism or the nature of reality, it's not quite up there, but it's a very Star Trek sentiment to say, you know, be your best self, do what you need to do, enjoy the company of others get the job done, don't be under pressure, uh, things of that sort. It, it was kind of it was a wholesome, if not basic, Star Trek message. I mean, we kind of broached the big conflict in this episode a week ago when Rutherford claimed to have been inside the Jeffries tubes for a solid week. And the discussion we had there, all right, was that real, was that hyperbole? Now this idea that all their tasks would be timed and I think it's a very Star Trek notion in that, all right, they they keep a clock on board so they know when it's this shift and that shift, that the days go by, star dates, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, how long does it take to really align the warp coils? This goes back to Scotty, right? Okay, I can I can do it in 45 minutes and seem like a miracle worker when it would actually take 25 minutes or whatever it was and all sorts of writerly ideas in the 50 plus years in between, you know, you, you tell somebody one thing, but it really takes this long and you come off like a hero. And I'm glad you mentioned Scotty to see some, some very minor complaints that, that uh buffer time is not living up to the ideals of starfleet i mean uh. you have scotty <laughs> multiple it's not just in relics you know there's also him saying you know well i could do it in two hours we don't have two hours i'll do it in 30 minutes you know it's it's part of this is a very human thing which is let me work let, let me do my own thing you, know, you kind of need the boss to push you a little otherwise you'd never realign the warp coils but also just that sense of I'm the expert. Let me proceed on my expert path. And I think a shining example of that plays out in the plot, not for story reasons, but to illustrate this issue. They take the shuttle down to meet the Galvakians. When Mariner points out, you could have just beamed down. If you're on a clock for a mission, Obviously, the more efficient solution is right in your face. Yeah, and and 
is that then evidence that ransom is wasting time or is he putting is he putting you know whipped cream on top in terms of a little extra pomp and circumstance for this for this meeting it probably is the latter and that's in a in a in a minor way it's speaking to this idea of do the job the best way possible not necessarily the most efficient way possible one of the things i particularly enjoyed about this episode and the way in which the episodes are are starting largely unconnected to the main narrative, the performance in the bar. And it's nice to know that this goes on on vessels not named Enterprise and that the lower decks portion, not just the bridge crew, have talents. Yeah, and I think... You know, sometimes, particularly in the world of Star Trek, sometimes we get a little caught up in what was without inspecting why it was. For example, where was the bar in Classic Trek? The answer is nobody had money to make a bar. They did, however, have a big room that could be set as diplomatic reception room or wedding chapel or, you know, or conference room. And it was just a limitation of the realities of tv um so you know this idea that there is that complete kind of space for recreation that space for performance that space outside the work sphere even though you're all on a certain level trapped on this tin can and not not going anywhere inside it you know other than where you work and whatnot I'm, i'm sure it's a very claustrophobic experience to be on on one of these ships real or star trek and you know, to have this place to kick back, relax, to to share in fellowship and whatnot, it feels very, very authentic. All of Boimler's performances have some connection to his mother. They have some sort of strained relationship. Is his mom going to be Starfleet? Or are we going to find out what's going on there? I think that part of what is so oddly freeing about Lower Decks is the stakes feel lower perhaps even indeed the stakes are lower right it's 10 22 minute episodes it's not you know 10 hour longs and darn it if you need to go 62 minutes because you got some great footage you can do that as well um could this be set up for the future to deal with more pathos absolutely could it also just be in the writer's room whether it's a comment thrown out there or as official as something in the show bible hey, Boimler has a strange relationship with his mother. Just keep that in mind. I don't know what it means. I don't know where it's going. It could be either of those. Ultimately, it makes Boimler a more well-rounded person to just know that there is this there is this whiff of a problem there. Again, whether it's a big story problem or just a little part of his character. Obviously, Ransom and his swagger is cut from classic Star Trek, whether it's Kirk, whether it's Riker, he makes the attempt at the speech. When the speech doesn't uh, land, then we've got the uh, the fighting. Um, but at the same time, there's a little bit of a different vibe coming from him. Yeah, I mean, one thing that jumps out is you know Freeman is so upset at having had the mission changed, and he's kind of. I think that Ransom as a character, as opposed to, you know, an animated an animated um, person on screen, Ransom as a person, I guess that's the way to put it, is saying, well, you know, then it's nothing against us. Hey, maybe we're the, maybe we still are the best little ship that nobody recognizes. There's a certain sense of, 
geniality there. There's a certain sense of trying to, you know, give an alternate take to his captain. Uh, I also think of him at the very end in Sick Bay, where he's really concerned that his action was out of line. Uh, and he's prepared for, you know, stab, stabbing uh, Mariner in the foot. And he's prepared to, uh, you know, to be dealt with officially. And when she says, well, I'm not going to deal with it officially, he says, okay. But then he's going to deal with her insubordination <laughs> officially, which she I think on, up her sleeves. <laughs> yeah. I think on the one level, that's not very cool of him. But he is the executive officer. He is the one who's making sure everybody's in line. And to sit and say, hey, uh, if you're going to hold me to task, I'd appreciate just a little a little consideration since this is going to be a formal process. Oh, we're not going to formally do this? Okay, next on the list, I need to formally deal with you for your insubordination and behavior earlier. This after it seemed they might kiss. So will we ship Mariner Ransom? Mansom? Or <laughs> R- Rariner? Or no? Uh, Pete, this... This episode airing in a week when, yet again, power indifferences on a CBS show. Now I'm talking about uh, All Rise, the the, the legal drama, uh, have yet again come to light. Um, could I imagine that a non-CBS animated show would have uh, have a relationship? You know, in, in a 2020 show, would have a relationship between a superior and subordinate officer? No way. In a CBS production. Maybe, although I'm going to hope in all seriousness, look, it's fine for Mariner to be a little thirsty as she sees the shirtless and buff uh, Ransom. Nothing wrong there. It's not the first time uh, Mariner has uh, expressed, you know, some some, some basic human lust. I think the show would not be well served to explore what it's like when a boss... And a and a downwardly mobile, if that's not an oxymoron, but you know, a, a downward trajectory subordinate and their boss having a relationship that is not a good look in 2020. Animated Star Trek, live action, Orville, whatever it might be. I hope not. She's covered in scars. Uh, Doctor Tana has the uh, line of the episode when the Cation refers to her as a scratching post (laughs) is great. Um, What happened in Scottsdale? Uh, I love that Scottsdale, Arizona is, (laughs) is considered to be the worst of all her, of all her scars. And and let's just back up for a second. I mean, it's, it's perhaps writers one-on-one, but it's one-on-one because it works. You know, the notion that she has these physical scars, which also represent her, Emotional scars, whether it's from those incidents or the emotional baggage that she carries in general, um, it all it, it all certainly works. What happened in Scottsdale? You know what, Pete? I'm going to stick with the emotional. I'm going to imagine maybe it was maybe it was like a bad <clears throat> a bad breakup that maybe resulted in you know things being thrown or one racing after the other and you know that, that sort of thing. I'm certainly not trying to suggest you know like violence within a relationship i'm not i'm not being flippant about that but could i imagine in an animated setting you know they're hurling bottles at each other or she's running after the guy or the girl whatever and or 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 vice versa and they trip over a a a fence into a cactus patch something like that (laughs) i I like this idea that it wasn't her versus the galrakian hulk it was it was something of the heart the boimler effect saves the day uh, it's legitimized in a plaque and 
it's canonized, Matt, in the far-flung future in a classroom uh, where they study the laziest corner-cutting officer in Starfleet history. So we now have an endpoint for buttoned-up Boimler. <laughs> we do, and I mean, obviously played for laughs. Um, it is nice knowing, A, that the far future is out there, uh, B, we don't know when it is. So, <laughs> you know, if, if you're uh, Mike McMahon and company trying to chart star dates and, and chronology and all that, whew, we're in this nice, steady post-nemesis, but not yet Picard era. Oh, wait, Picard is going to have flashbacks within two years of Lower Decks. Oh, and then Discovery is 900 years in the future. It's just some point in the far future. Um, it, it's... If you want to get very philosophical and say, oh, look, it's a reflection on how legends can change over the years. I mean, Pete, this this episode and this reference to the Great Bird of the Galaxy uh, airing, uh, if not the day on, within within day of uh, Gene Roddenberry's 99th birthday, what, what would have been, you know, he's somebody who his accomplishments great, uh, less discussed, you know, the time he spent in the time he spent cheating on his wife and things like that you know and i'm not here to do the thumbs down gene roddenberry podcast but just the point being one's legend can change over time in boimler's case good news he's remembered in the far future he's taught in school bad news he's kind of remembered for the wrong reason much like chief miles o'brien matt who spent much of his life suffering here the most important person in Starfleet history. If you want to read it as a cute joke, it's a cute joke. If you want to read it as a hardcore Star Trek fan who, you know, probably you'd be hard pressed to objectively disagree. I mean, you could have more favorite characters, but just, you know, from the every man, all that he's been through. Uh, again, maybe I'm speaking less into Starfleet history and more to the viewing audience at home. He's, he's perhaps the most important character uh, on an emotional level. So a great call out and something that works on multiple levels. Speaking of multiple levels, Matt, get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. You can pick from the many different tiers or even create your own of Patreon levels to contribute to fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes get access to uh, exclusive podcast content. All it takes is a dollar a month. Can't contribute right now? That's fine. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating out of a number of stars. Takes a second. Leave us a review. Takes us a little bit while longer to get that, but appreciated nonetheless. With that, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. First up, Pete, we have the Twitter poll uh, thusly conducted. Uh, the four options. Do you give the episode an ensign rank? Wooden idol. That got 4.5%. The lieutenant rank. Crystals, crystals. 4.5%. Uh, the commander rank. Fist punch fave. 45.5%. And then the captain rank. TNG-esque in 22 minutes. Also got 45.5%. So, Pete... In this weird world, 45.5, 45.5, 4.5, 4.5, how it shook out. It looks weird on paper, but ultimately, what, 90% of people giving it uh, either a three or four star rating? 
And I think people have really warmed up to the idea of Lower Decks a couple episodes in. This was definitely my favorite of the three we've seen so far. Some responses on Twitter. James, it's at Big Killin', says, not as good as the first two, but very fun. The plot was over-the-top fun. Looking forward to more. We heard from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo1983. This is a fun little show. No deep thoughts. Just watch and laugh. I might disagree softly that there's no deep thoughts, but it's certainly, it, it's not, you know, what is the nature of reality and, and our role in it. Uh, Pete, we heard from the Beyond Trek podcast. It's at Beyond Trek Pod. Set the new bar for number of expected double fist punches per minute. It's got to be some kind of record there, Pete. Uh, and lastly, we heard from JT Atkins. That's at JTA is me. I haven't been commenting, but I have been watching. Like Matt, I wasn't thrilled when I heard the concept, but I've really been enjoying having fun with Trek. The producers clearly love the franchise, and it's a stitch. Very well done. Gotta run, though. Buffer time. <laughs> Classic J.T. Atkins. With that, Pete, we have the incoming communique. I hope that we're not about to be rerouted from Cardassia Prime. Let's hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 3. There were actually two storylines I found a little bit too long. On one side, the Calrakian story took me a little bit too long, although only in an episode of 22-23 minutes, and also the story of the buffer time. The idea was okay, but it took a little bit too long, and resolving it was a little bit in an overshoot modus. Cannot imagine that the captain would let everything loose. But within this story, the way Boimler behaved was quite in contrast, and that was nice. Most interesting I found the interaction between Commander Jack Ransom and Ensign Mariner. First, who was going to fight that big Calrakian guy, and then how Ensign Mariner was impressed how Jack did succeed in getting that guy down. She could be a bit interested in him, and then the question is, is this going to be a big contrast to Ensign Boimler, who is, well, let's say the weak, nerdy guy. Could Ensign Mariner get interested in Jack Ransom and Boimler will get a kind of jealous or something like that? Okay, that was all for now. Sorry giving my straightforward opinion. But there are more people like that. Permission to speak freely? You always speak freely. Nobody can stop you from speaking freely. All right. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, Fred reflecting there on Captain Freeman, what are your thoughts as to this idea, you know, would she have let this craziness go on for the entire week? What does that say about her as a leader? What are your thoughts? I mean, she's driven to raise the profile of her vessel that she feels Starfleet slighted them. 
because they don't get things done fast enough or well enough or whatever it is. Again, that's a relatable story, and we don't question the reality in which it would occur. Fred also has a really interesting notion, which is that if there is some sort of ransom mariner relationship pursued, which I know I kind of argued against, but I could I could see it happening perhaps. Uh, does that set up a classic, you know, uh, chi- triangle O conflict where Boimler somehow is jealous? You know, it would be a way to have something that involves more than one character, obviously more than two characters, to have multiple characters looped in there. So what are, your, what are your thoughts? We have seven more episodes to go. There certainly is plenty of story room to explore that, whether it's for one episode or more. So where do you land, Pete? We still don't know to what extent the crew is aware of the relationship between Captain Freeman and uh, Mariner. So that, to me, is a further complication. All right, would the uh, commander have or risk a relationship with the daughter of the captain. Could it be comedic? Absolutely. Pete, you increasingly, you, Fred, et cetera, increasingly have me thinking that this could be a potential storyline. So we will certainly have to wait and see. Pete, let's keep this Star Trek conversation going. Like I said, seven more episodes of uh, Lower Decks to go. And then, of course, 13 discoveries right after that. So how can people be in touch with you to talk about Star Trek? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-11,444. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek. All one word with the P, with the H, like it today. If you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back next Saturday to talk more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as we put that series finally to bed. And of course, if you're here for Star Trek, we will be back talking Lower Decks Episode 104 next Sunday. That's whatever feed you might be listening on. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Sometimes you have to do what's wrong to survive.